Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits, episode 152. And today we're going to be back in the book of Jude, and we're going to cover a couple of more verses here as we look at Jude, this small book. It only has the one chapter, and let's see how jam-packed it is. So in Jude chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. In verse 12, he says, These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, who is Jude talking about here? He's talking about the same people from verse 3 and 4, particularly from verse 4, that his book is warning us about. And we've been looking at this in the last several episodes, and Jude is very concerned. As a matter of fact, when we looked at it a few weeks ago, we saw where he's troubled. He was troubled. He was distressed. He felt compelled out of duty and obligation as a servant of the Lord. He had to address this. It was really bothering him because he saw the effects of it. He saw the enemy's work through these deceivers that were coming in, creeping in unnoticed. And so he is obligated, he feels, and he is compelled to warn us. And I believe that this book is included, and it is most definitely applicable to Christians today. We need to heed his warnings. So we've looked at these in detail We talked about the examples he has given, about the the symbolic examples that he used to compare these deceivers to. He told us that their entire purpose, willingly, they did it willingly, knowing exactly what they did and what they were doing to creep into the church unnoticed and then exchange the true grace of God for the lie that they are promoting for this licentiousness, for this unbridled passion that they want to live in because they do not submit, they are denying the lordship of God, the lordship of Jesus Christ. So he goes on here in verses 12 and 13, and he actually, in verse 12 and 13, he's actually focusing on some symbolic ways that he is expressing as to who these people are, who these deceivers are, and he's using symbolic imagery to do that. So he's comparing, and he uses five things here, and we're going to look at those today, as he describes these people. He says they are spots in your love feast. That word for spot really is talking about a ledge or a reef, a cleft of a rock, It means also a stigma or a flaw. They are those who, by their conduct, are trying to come in and lodge with us and damage the church, 
morally damage other people. There are spots in your love feast. In other words, they're in your they're in your sanctuaries. They're in your church. They're among believers. They come in. They come into fellowships. Now they may or may not be in your particular church body, but the point he's bringing here is that they are in among believers. They're in church services. They're in the community and the fellowship of believers. They're sharing meals together, possibly even communion with you. These have crept in unnoticed, trying to weave in their influence in every way that they can to spew their delusion, to spew their deception out, exchanging God's grace for this unbridled lust. They are feasting with you and it's interesting because when he says that, he means that they, it, it's, it's the word for tending like a shepherd would. So in other words, they're trying to weave in and influence the believers. They're trying to influence the sheep in the churches and turn them against the true lordship of Jesus Christ by coming in with these philosophies and delusions that you can just live any way you want to and God's Grace is going to cover it. They're exchanging the true grace of God for these lies. And they're doing this without fear. In other words, they have there's no shame, totally shameless. They have no fear of God for their behavior. Beloved friend, the wisest man on earth prior to the Lord Jesus Christ himself wrote in many times in his books, and he said, Things like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to be a wise person, learn to fear the Lord. Learn to honor him in awe and reverence that he is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy to be obeyed. He is our creator and he has established good things for us, but we must be submitted to his lordship to enjoy those things. And part of that is having a reverential fear and acknowledgement of who he is. Oh yes, he's a God of great grace and great mercy and great love, but he is also a holy God. He is also one. He said that you can't just approach me. He said, everybody that approaches me must be holy. He is, he is holy. He is just. He is true and righteous and altogether lovely. Praise be to God. So they have no fear. They have no fear of the Lord. They have no fear of the punishment. It's like they're just openly defying God, almost challenging Him. They're, they're daring. They have no expectation of God's righteous punishment to them, God's righteous chastisement. Herein is the danger because they are trying to feed on other sheep. They are trying to lead other people in the body of Christ astray and feed on them. They're serving only themselves. They, they don't care about the sheep. They're not a true shepherd. They're what Jesus called a hireling, so to speak. And they may or may not even be in any leadership position in the church. If they are, and there are some in leadership positions in the church today, and we need to avoid them and, you know, pray for them, pray for their repentance, of course. 
God wants no one to perish. But when they continue to pro- promote and teach these lies and these delusive and deceiving doctrines, we need to beware and we need to avoid all of that. We cannot have anything to do with that. They truly don't care about the sheep. They care about their own lust. They care about money or fame or a following. They're trying to pull disciples after themselves. Watch out. So Jude describes them here as spots in our love feast. And then he describes that. Second thing he says about them is that they are clouds without water. In other words, you look up, you expect there to be rain. You expect them to have water. You expect them to be refreshing and have something that's truly substantive to give input and to help you with. But they have no substance. It's all a smokescreen. They look like they have water to share, living water to share, but they have none, zero. And so they look deceptive. You know, you would look at them and think that they're Christian, but the, but the substance is not there. And I think I'm going to read Ephesians. I had it down in my notes to read this now, but I really want to, I think I want to hold it to the end. Jude also says that they are late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. This is the third thing he uses to describe them. Late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Late autumn trees should be beaming with fruit. There should be abundant fruit all over their leaves because they've been growing through the season and it appears that they should have plenty of fruit on them, but they have zero. They have the appearance only. Jesus spoke of the Pharisees, for instance, and he said, you're whitewashed tombs. Oh, you look nice and pretty, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. So they appear to have fruit, or they appear that they should have fruit, but they have none. They're twice dead, he says, and pulled up by the roots. It reminded me of when Jesus cursed the fig tree because he came to it expecting fruit, and there was none, and so he cursed it. Same fate that these will have if they continue in this, in this willful sin. You would expect them to be fruitful, but it's deceptive. They look like real Christians, but Jesus even warned us that, that the enemy comes in and sows tares among the wheat, and these are the tares. And from what I understand, I've never grown wheat myself, but from what I understand, tares and wheat look exactly alike until you go to eat them. And then is when you tell the difference. But they look exactly alike. In other words, you would think that these are real Christians full of real fruit. The Bible says here that they are twice dead. Now, I want to throw out a couple of things here. First of all, in a natural example, in other words, they are dead, dead now. You know, they, there's no life in them. They're not connected to the root system to bring any real health to them. 
They are not able to produce and have no healthy growth in order to bring forth true fruit. Spiritually, though, the Bible talks about a second death. We read about it in the book of Revelation. And all those that are subject to the second death are literally cast into the lake of fire. And all of those refer to, to the ones who die without receiving Jesus Christ. The Bible says God has appointed man to the first death because of the wages of sin. When the wages of sin came in, it destined us for the first death. That's in the scriptures in the book of Hebrews. But God never appointed one person to experience the second death. People only experience that through their own choice, through their own rebellion against the Lord, through their own refusal to accept Jesus Christ. So there is a second death spiritually, and it will end up in the lake of fire. So perhaps this twice dead also refers to an element similar to that. Perhaps it's of eternal uh, damnation nature. Perhaps Jude is trying to express this here. Maybe they are demonically influenced or demonically possessed. Who knows? So that's just, I just mentioned those thoughts for you. The Bible says that they are also pulled up by the roots. Jesus spoke of uprooting things that were bitter producing bitter fruit. I want to look at a couple of these places with you right now. The first one I want to go to is in Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 12 through 14 and then verse 20 through 21. And I mentioned it a moment ago. Now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. Jesus was hungry, it means. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Jump down to verse 20. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Jesus goes on and he teaches them about having faith when you pray and having that ability to know that whatever we pray, when we pray according to the will of the Lord, we believe, then we receive those things. So it was a, an object lesson in that sense. But Jesus cursed it because he expected it to have fruit, and it had none. I also want to look at Luke 17. In the context of this, before and after this, Jesus is talking about offenses, who they come, how they come, what happens, and what would be better for the person they come through. This is where he speaks. Uh, one of the places he speaks about it being better for them with a millstone hung about their neck and drowned in the sea. He goes on and he talks about forgiveness and how important that is as well so that we don't become bitter and have a root of bitterness growing in us. But in verse 6 is where I want to read. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, 
be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. He's talking in here about offenses, how and how offenses come, how it would be better for someone if they are bringing offenses, offending any little one to be cast into the sea with a millstone about their neck. He's also talking about any that sin against us, forgiving them. This is the context. Verse 5 says this, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, why would the mulberry tree need to be uprooted? Because it was doing wrong. It was it was not bearing. It was bearing bitter fruit. Unforgiveness, there was bitterness, is what he's talking about here. A, a wrong type of fruit. And we need to be careful not to allow that to take root in our lives. Let's look at two other places that help us understand that. One of those is in Deuteronomy chapter 29. And I want to read a few of these verses. Beginning in verse 14. I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations which you passed by and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nation, these nations, and that there may be not among you a root-bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. This is a word that is very pertinent to what Jude has been talking about with these people, because they're refusing to honor and obey the Lord, going after the dictates of their own heart, their own unbridled lust, and thinking that they're okay. And so the Lord is saying here, there should not be any of this kind of tree, this root in your midst, because it's bearing bitterness and wormwood. The other place that speaks of this is in Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to be begin reading in verse 14. This also is very applicable and bears understanding in light of what we're discussing. In Hebrews chapter 12, Verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So Jude and the author of Hebrews and Moses in Deuteronomy and Jesus 
are all warning against allowing these things to take root and to grow up among us because they're bitter and they will lead people astray. They're deceptive and they will not honor God and the beautiful grace of God. So I pray that we will take Jude's warnings seriously because these people are causing others to stumble and therefore they need to be uprooted in the sense that we don't need to pay attention to them. We need to not have anything to do with that kind of bitterness and delusion and deception that Jude is warning against here. The next thing Jude says about them is that they are raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. If you live near the sea or you go to the beach or whatever, there are times when the waves will come up and, and they'll foam, you know, the, the sea foam that they have in them. There are times also if it's stormy or choppy weather that those waves could be raging, especially in certain types of violent storms. And so he's talking about that here. He's saying they're, they're like wave, raging waves of the sea, wild, in other words. They are wild, unbridled, unrestrained, refusing the calm and conviction that the Holy Spirit would bring. They would rather continue on in their own unbridled lusts and unwillingness to obey the Lord and submit to his lordship. And in doing so, they're foaming up their own shame. The last thing he compares them to is wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. In other words, they're erratic and roving all about. It might even perhaps apply to those who are kind of church hoppers. They're doing their evil work, and so they'll come and creep in in this one and try to do whatever they can, damage there, and bring in their heretical philosophies and their delusions there and either be successful or not be successful. And then they're going to hop over here and they're going to try to do the same thing. And they're going to be church hoppers. It can also refer to the philosophy and the deception and the delusion itself spreading because it is spreading. And now you have several churches that are leading in this endeavor that are going after these these wrong philosophies, these deceptive lies and delusions, turning and exchanging the grace of God for this unbridled lust and passion and denying the Lordship of God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there, it talks about a transient behavior or transient nature to this, that it is wandering and roving about and these are lost and without light. And the, the saddest part of all is that if they continue in willful sin and rebellion, knowing what they're doing and seeking to not only go down themselves, but to take others with them and offend others, they are headed for blackness of darkness forever, eternal damnation eternal torment. 
and they're seeking to bring others down with them. These are very dangerous and they need to be avoided. I want to close with this final scripture and I want to read this passage and I pray that we take it to heart and we beware of these deceivers. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, I want to read a passage here beginning in verse 11. And he himself, meaning Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now let me stop here. Some take this today and are misusing this and misapplying it. But what he's saying here is he has given the structure of godly leadership to the church and the purpose of godly pastors and teachers, godly evangelists, these other offices, is to equip the saints in the church, equip them with sound doctrine, equip them with the word of God, equip them with the true spirit and nature and character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what their job is. Their job is to build up the saints. Their job is to feed the sheep, the Lord's sheep. It's his church. But he gives these leaders, true leaders, to enable the the sheep to grow healthily, to feed on the word of God, to gain strength, to be mature, and to do the work of the ministry. That's what he's telling us here. Continuing on in the reading, verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man or a mature person, a mature Christian, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, we become more and more like Jesus that we're becoming more and more like him. We become a mature Christian, more and more like Jesus. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but rather speaking the truth in love, may grow up into all things, into him who is the head Christ. So Paul is warning us here in Ephesians to grow up soundly. He's given us godly churches and godly Christian leadership to do that. If you are not in a church, where they are teaching sound doctrine and where you are not truly being equipped and made into the image of Jesus Christ through the teaching and through the growth that you are, you are to experience, then pray about maybe you need to find a different church. Maybe you need to go somewhere else. I don't know and I can't make that call for you, but I would encourage you to take it seriously and pray because Jude and Paul and Peter and many others are warning us about the dangers of deceivers who will carry us about with winds of doctrine through their trickery and craftiness 
and through their deceit. And we don't need to be, we don't need to fall prey to these predators because that's what they are. Beware, my friend, beloved friend, beware. Make sure that you are being fed the truth, that you are growing and maturing in Jesus Christ so that you will be able to spot the counterfeit and avoid it at all costs. And you will cling to the real and the true and be truly growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, the true grace. That's Jude's desire. That's our desire. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name.